Hello and welcome to the first 2023 edition of Shattered Lives. I'm Kieran Bradley. Before the murder trial of Jerry Hutch resumes in the second week of January at the Special Criminal Court, we wanted to revisit some of the excellent questions that we've had in from you, on the trial and on the feud more widely. Thanks to everybody who's contacted us, and if a question is not read out, please don't take it personally. We just had a lot come flooding in. Um, we just wanted to start off with one which came from a good few people and probably is a decent place for us to start, and that's what happens next. Uh, so first of all, I might throw this to you, Paul. Yeah, so it's important to say we don't know exactly everything that's going to happen next, but we had some indication uh, towards the end of the final day there before Christmas uh, as to to some of the things that are going to be heard. So we reckon there's going to be about two weeks left in the trial uh, and that, that, that that's according to Sean Yalan, prosecuting counsel. Um, and we know that there is going to be evidence in relation to Jason Bonney. Uh, he's one of the co-accused. Just to remind people, he is accused of facilitating the murder by providing uh, a vehicle on the day in question. And uh, it's my understanding that uh, Mr. Bonney uh, has, at the 11th hour, it must be said, uh, provided a alibi uh, in relation to his uh, alleged location on the 5th of February 2016. Um, and I understand that it it pertains to, you know, look, the allegation in relation to Jason Bonney is that he was driving uh, the BMW, uh, one of the vehicles that was used as part of a convoy to help the hit team uh, escape uh, after the Regency Hotel shooting. And Mr. Bonney is basically saying he wasn't driving the car at the time, uh, that he was somewhere else. And now uh, there's an individual who can allegedly corroborate that. Um, so there will be argument over possibly a witness uh, being called forward in relation to that. And that's one of the first things that we're going to hear, uh, I suspect, when we come back. Um, so then we have two weeks. As I say, the prosecution will wrap up their case uh, and uh yeah, I mean, that's it. We're, we're coming to, to the end game now. Um, Mick, what do you think? I mean, in terms of just the timeline of the of the verdict then, you know, how long it might take for a judgment uh, in this case? So what usually happens in a, in a jury trial is prosecution finishes their case, the defence starts their case. That's, that's what will happen here. So uh, Brendan Graham, senior counsel, may call. He may call fifty witnesses. We haven't got a clue because, as it, as I keep on saying, we don't get the witness list. What what happens in the jury trial is prosecution finishes, defence starts, then it does its stuff, and then prosecution does as someone up speech, a final speech to the jury, and the last, and then the the defence gets the last word, and then it's up to the judges, the judge, to make a someone up. Now that, I've been in say like say. The Groom Dwyer trial, I remember the summing up by the judge. I think it was two or three days. There's no summing up in this case because there's no jury to speak to. So it really ends when the prosecution and the defence finish their submissions. So what will happen is the three judges, uh, led by Miss Justice Tara Burns, the presiding judge, will do what is called a, a reserve judgment. In other words, they will go away and they will think about it and they will come to their conclusions and they will give a written judgment. Now, that it's not going to be a couple of days afterwards, like if you think about a jury trial, and we've all done it, we've been waiting, waiting for the jury to come back. It could be a, a week, it could be three days, it could be four hours, whatever. And this is going to be quite a long time. We're, we're talking weeks, if not months. I just look back on one of another uh, special criminal court cases, which is also due, uh, connected to the Ken and Hutch feud. That was the, the trial of uh, Freddie Thompson, 
who was charged and later convicted of the murder of Dahi Douglas in Dublin in July 2016. That trial ended in June and the three judges in the Special Criminal Court went away and they came back and they delivered their written judgment in August. So it's two months. Now, it might be slightly longer, it might be slightly less, but I sort of think I've gotten my head maybe around Patrick's Day. That that sort of time, but it it, it could be much longer because there might be more weighty legal issues to discuss. So, how long is the piece of string? But you're, you're talking, I think you're talking months rather than weeks. It's interesting, isn't it, that it's not like um, you know, in, in a typical jury trial, it, it it might be a day or two, a couple of days for them to make a decision. The judges have a a, a much longer period of time to consider uh, their ruling, and, and you can look at that either way, depending on your opinion on the special criminal court in terms of is that a good thing or a bad thing. But I just find it interesting. Could I just ask you because um, you know, as a layman, and hopefully I'm playing that role to to expert expert level at this stage. Is that just an indication, really, of the of the profession? You know, in the sense of right, we are literally waiting until every single piece of evidence is heard before we start going through this with a fine tooth comb. Whereas maybe juries are kind of seventy, eighty percent of the way there and, and are kind of waiting to be proven otherwise. If that makes sense. Well, I, I tell you what's interesting: the real difference. Nobody knows why a jury comes to its decision. Okay, so they just come in and say. You know, in a murder case, murder, guilty or not guilty, right? And we go, okay, that's it, right? Here, we will have the verdict at the end, but they will do a full forensic deep down dive of all the evidence and they quote the evidence and they quote the case law and everything. So it really is a significant piece of work. And and the good thing is we will know the rationale, why they, why they came to the decision. So it's, it's fantastic transparency. But it's completely different to a jury. You know, in juries, it could be somebody sitting there for five minutes and they go, right, that's it, he's guilty. We haven't got a clue because nobody's allowed to know what goes on in the jury room. Yeah, it's genuinely interesting, actually. No, it's really interesting. Um, Just on perhaps a related one then, we have a question in from Trevor Stewart here, who asks, uh, aside from Dowdle's evidence, what do they have to convict Hutch? Um, Anyone, any takers? Yeah, I did a kind of a trial summary piece there just uh, before we broke up for Christmas and I I focused on that exact point because it was even of interest to me to go back over all of the evidence and to just try and pinpoint what exactly is the evidence against Jerry Hutch. Um, So it's important to remind people that before Jonathan Dowdall ever turned state witness, Jerry Hutch had already been charged with murder, that the director of public prosecutions ruled uh, that there was enough evidence to charge him with murder. So before we ever had Dowdall uh, uh, giving any kind of evidence whatsoever, there was evidence, supposedly, of Hutch's involvement. And that really comes down to the bugged conversation and what's said on that uh, 10-hour tape. And we've mentioned this time and time again, how tedious it is to listen to the entirety of it. And there's so many different things said and it's hard to contextualize it. But I propose just to read out one particular element that's of interest um, where Dowdall says, can you remember that meeting with Kevin? You never admitted that was you at the Regency, did you not? Hutch says, what? Um, And then Dowdall says, well, we obviously... Well, you did, obviously, if you're giving them the bleeding yokes. And then Jerry Hush says, yeah, he knows. And that uh, is what the state is saying is a taped confession, where Jerry Hush uh, seems to say that, yeah, this Kevin Tyrone character, this dissident up north, that he told him that it was them at the Regency. Um, 
but there's a lot of legal argument in relation to that. But but that it, it, you know that that's just one element of the tapes. There's a lot of talk about the yokes, which we have now had the state uh, trying to prove is actually talk about the AK-47 rifles that were used. And you have Jerry Hutch with seemingly expressing knowledge about these yokes and what's going to be done with them, moving them up north uh, in the exact time frame. Uh, in which those AK-47s were eventually recovered, and meeting uh, the likes of um, the the likes of uh, Shane Rowan, who was caught with those guns, he, he met with him only two weeks prior. Um, so all of that is going to uh, prove uh, is is going to be form part of the state's case against Jerry Hutch, in that he had knowledge of these guns, was talking about moving these guns, was talking about the Regency Hotel, and allegedly confessing to his own involvement in the Regency Hotel. And you have all of that on the tapes. Forget about Jonathan Dowdall; that's all there on that tape. And, and if you think about it, let's get, let's get, go back to the the nearest approximation to the Hutch trial, which is the, the, John, the John Gilligan trial for the 1986 murder of journalist uh, Veronica Gearn. And we know that there was significant supergrass or accomplice or state evidence in that case, Charlie Bowden and Russell Warren. Now, the judges found John Gilligan not guilty of the murder, but they convicted him of serious drug charges that saw him locked up for 20 odd years. But there's a difference here. They, they rejected Bowden's evidence because there was no corroboration. And corroboration really is the big thing. So it's up to the judges, and I want to keep on stressing this, it's up to the judges, but from our perspective, look, you know, there's the direct evidence of Dowdall, and then there are the bug, there's the, the bugging evidence from the bugging. So it's not just Dowdall's word, there is other, other evidence. And it's not just the bugging, there is other evidence, which is Dowdall's word. Now, look, that's all been challenged, and it's up to the judges, you know, to decide. So there's a difference between this and the super the state evidence of Charlie Bowen others in, in when it was two thousand and three I think it was for the the Veronica Year murder so that's different so and it's and it's very significant and look there may be things that the judges might and all the evidence that has not stood out for us but the judges might go that's significant you know say even things like about was was Jerry Hutch remember wasn't there some claims that he was asking about CCTV footage around his house he was trying to he got his own CCTV destroyed but he was worried about others judges can take inferences and go right that's significant i'm the only pointing that out that it might not be completely trivial but i'm just saying that there are things in the trial that the judges who've had the benefit of being there for the whole case whereas we haven't will pick may or may not pick up so it's different to gilligan i would say yeah i i, I think there are maybe three significant things that that the judges will will look at, but as you said, Mick, they may look at other things. But I, I think the the guns is one thing, the knowledge of the guns, and then the evidence actually showing what 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 actually happened with those guns in the time period in which they're talking about them. The other is talking about the Regency and Buckingham Village as well. They had in intricate knowledge these two individuals of uh, that may that that only really persons who were involved maybe should know. Uh, that that's the inference um but look we'll, we'll it's up to the judges ultimately but um all of that is there uh doubt all aside and I, it's important also to state the i think the meticulousness of the Garda investigation like it's not just tapes i mean we have cctv footage of these two individuals at every turn and of the meeting with shane rowan the surveillance um uh, the meeting with Patsy Hutch in the hours before the guns were found. There is significant evidence there in terms of Garda surveillance and in terms of 
CCTV uh, when it all forms together is 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 the entire uh, jigsaw so to speak um, and the prosecution will wrap all that up in the next two weeks in, in, in a nice neat tidy box and it might make a bit more sense to people as to what their case is then and look, you know, it's it's entirely possible, again, without knowing, they could call Jonathan Dowdell's father. That has been raised several times. We just don't know because they don't tell us. So, you know, when Paul's there for the first day back on Wednesday, there could be, who knows what's the, what'll happen. Yeah, it'll be box office, I'm sure. Um, on to an, another question that we have in here, and uh, a, a few of these have come uh, in, in similar vein, but this one came through DM on Twitter. Is there any possibility that uh, if and when Jerry Hutch does not get sentenced, the charges will be brought against the others that Dowdle has named? Or would the fact that his evidence wasn't good enough in this trial negate the need or want of the state to bring another trial that they may not win? Paul? That's interesting. Uh, I will give my opinion. It's only my opinion. Uh, but I think I think it's... Uh, it's 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 weighted in some reality. If if this uh, case results in a in a uh, in a prosecution in a guilty verdict, then that obviously strengthens uh, a lot of uh, what was said in the trial in terms of evidence against other people allegedly, and uh, we know that the likes of Patsy Hutch, Patrick Hutch Jr., James Mago Gately have all been named and uh, allegations have been made about them which are very strong very serious uh, in particularly in uh, in particular in relation to Patsy Hutch and we've heard Jonathan Dowdall say that he's willing to uh, again come before the court and give evidence against Patsy specifically um and and I mentioned there about the meeting with Patsy Hutch in the Malahide industrial estate I mean that's highly questionable you've got Patsy Hutch meeting Shane Roan uh, literally um up to an hour before he was caught with the AK-47s and there's a lot of interesting evidence there I'm being cautious on what I'm saying but there there is significant uh, stuff there in relation to those individuals but I think I th- I'm only speculating but I think that perhaps um, any investigation into these won't progress until this trial concludes Mick it looks like you have something else to add there as well well firstly I'll say it's it's important to stress whatever the the, the the phraseology of the question was. Jonathan Donald's evidence has not been disregarded or discredited. It's up to the judges to decide that. But what's really significant for me, if the judges do accept Donald's evidence, then I think other people have a serious problem. The judges may disregard Donald's evidence, then that's grand because, you know, they may disregard his evidence, but they have the tapes. And who knows? Who knows what's going to happen, right? But if they accept his evidence, other people, I think, are in a spot about it. Okay, very good. Um, we had another one through uh, via DM, uh, which was in relation to uh, Jonathan Dowdle's uh, housing in prison, in Portlaoise Prison. Um, it says he was kicked off the Republican wing, um, and the questioner wonders whether this was because he was seen to be involved with the Northern Ireland dissidents, or whether this was because he'd been communicating with Flat Cap, or because he was quite unquote talking. Um, Paul, maybe you might have a have a pop of that one first. Uh, my understanding of it is is because he was under investigation for the Regency, and they had no time for somebody who's alleged to be involved in gangland. Um, uh, so he wasn't welcome. Now, Dowdall's version of events is that he essentially disinvited himself from the landing, uh, that he wasn't kicked off, 
but he effectively was kicked off and there there were issues there I understand going back a while um, in, in relation to him but he wasn't welcome once he was deemed to be involved in organised crime gangland uh, these individuals didn't want anything to do with him uh, this might actually be a good time to ask this question as well that came in um, again via DM uh, how would Dowdle know Piers McCauley the person called we and the person called fluff etc and be able to get meetings so apparently easily if he wasn't connected to, at a higher level to republicanism mick i'm fascinated by this I'm particularly fascinated by the pierce macaulay uh, relationship because you know I, I know I think he said he, he met him a couple of times in prison but he came out there was it was well was it was it 19 he said that he met him two or three times and it had been proven to him that he'd met him I believe 14 times in the course of a year and a half or something so that's a long time so just for just for background Pierce Macaulay was one of a number of IRA men charged with the 1996 murder of detective guard Jerry McCabe now they went in trial at the special criminal court and they pleaded guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter and they served their time and they were high profile republican prisoners at the height of the peace process and there was a big campaign and I was there when they were all released and there was big cavalcade and stuff that, that's grand and then he's and then he was subsequently put in custody for a really brutal attack on his wife Pauline Tully who's a Sinn Féin TD up around the, in Cavan Monaghan just a horrific attack. Now, I just want to know how a fella from the north inner city could forge such a close relationship with Pierce Macaulay while he was in prison. I, 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 I really do think we need to examine this. Look, no problem. Republicanism is not a crime. People can go and visit everybody. And, you know, Republicans, by their very nature, they have an all-Ireland and an all-Ireland perspective. And that's no problem, right? But... He went to Pierce Macaulay for advice, the court heard, you know, because it was one of the Hutches asked him for help and he went to Pierce Macaulay. Why would he go to Pierce Macaulay in prison for advice? That's a big thing for me. I just don't get the relationship and I don't get why he would go to him for help. Yeah, well, Dowdall claims from growing up in the inner city that he would have known a lot of people with dissident backgrounds and uh, Republican backgrounds and, and, and that's how he explained a lot of this um, it, also how how was he so connected with uh, Alan Ryan and Vinnie Ryan that came up as well in the trial I mean he seemed to have a very close relationship with them to the point where he uh, was actually leaning upon them to uh, to intimidate somebody uh, and you know he, it was put to him are you, are you effectively bossing them around he says, I wouldn't boss anybody around, but he seemed to have a certain level of respect uh, and authority over some of these figures. Uh, at least at least he, he appeared to, anyway. Like, even that, the Ryan connection, that's even interesting. So, obviously, the yeah. ceasefire, the first, the IRA, first IRA ceasefire was in 1994. The, the, the second permanent one was in July 1997. In late 19, early 1998, Alan Ryan was arrested at Stamullen in County Meath at the Real IRA Trains Camp. He was, he, was, he, was, he was 14 or something, right? So he hadn't grown up during the Troubles, and, but he's a Republican and that's grand, right? Then he got involved. But how did, you know, how did Dowdall know him either? It, you know, look, it's true, there is, as I keep saying this, Republicanism is, is all Ireland and there is a, a very strong Republicanism in certain aspects in the North Eder City, that's grand, and there have been people who've become heavily involved in Republicanism. I'm just really interested, how come a businessman like him, who really wasn't involved in politics until he got involved as his Sinn Féin councillor, 
Well, that wasn't for long. Was it 2013, was it? He he became elected. He got he, he joined the party. He became a party councillor. Though, you know, Alan Ryan was murdered in September 2012. So obviously he knew him before that. What's this all about? I, it's totally fascinating for me. Yeah. And, and and he says he went to Pierce Macaulay because of an alleged attack on or attempt on Patsy Hutch outside of school, and he went to him for advice. And then he was also, he said, seeking advice uh, in relation to Patsy, trying to get him to bring about uh, peace in in the feud. And Dowdall said he didn't know anybody, so he claims the reason why he went to Pierce Macaulay is because he knew that Pierce Macaulay knew people. So he, uh, basically, Pierce Macaulay was his connection then to other individuals he was trying to claim uh, that he got involved. But if, if, I'm, if my timeline's right, when he visited him in prison the first day we went to him for help, he, he wasn't in custody for any Republican activity. He was, he was in custody for that really shocking attack on Pauline Tully. Is that, that's right. So, you know, at this stage, Pierce Macaulay, his star had very much waned within the Republican movement. So why go to him? There are plenty of Republicans that you can go to help for. I've, I've, I've gone to Republicans over various things as a journalist, and there's plenty of Republicans you can go to and plenty of, you know, people you can ask for help. Why, why Pierce Macaulay, a lad, in, a fellow in prison for a vicious assault on a woman? I, I just, it, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. It's bizarre, all right, and there's serious questions to be asked about, you know, what was Jonathan Dowdall doing up north in January? meeting certain individuals or trying to meet certain individuals and, and some of that was raised in the trial apparently he didn't get to meet this Kevin Tyrone character he went up a couple of times all of this before the Regency he even went up on the 4th uh, the day before the Regency he's making out that he was a gilly and that he was being used and that the Hutches weren't actually looking for peace at all and that he was that it did, that his meetings didn't mean anything um but it, there was almost an inference there from the defense that there were other motivations for him meeting these people up north uh, in the in the in the weeks before the regency okay uh, if the judges come back with no conviction for murder for jerry hutch what is the likelihood of him facing other charges right so it's a bit complicated uh, in if you're in the normal courts, if you're charged with murder, the jury can't say not guilty of murder, but guilty of manslaughter. Okay. I don't think, and you know, I'm sure there are eminent barristers listening to this who are going to be laughing at me, but I have been asking solicitors and lawyers and they're, they're, the best guidance they could give to me was the charge has to be on the indictment sheet and the only charge on the indictment sheet is murder. So for example, could they acquit him of murder? But I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say manslaughter because you know, you know, there was. It's very unlikely to say it was accidental shooting somebody or being shot. You know, shot like that. But they could bring in. We 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 find him guilty of firearms offences in relation to the the Oaks or the Clash of Gods or whatever. But the best legal advice I've got from people I've been speaking to is no, they can't. So if he's acquitted of murder, Shane. Yeah, but it's interesting. You broke a story, I think, just before the trial, Mick, that uh, the monk was actually arrested from prison, wasn't he? And he's under investigation for another charge that he may un- end up facing. Isn't that right? Yeah, so that's an investigation by the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation. So who are the sort of elite national investigation, investigations unit in there? investigating uh, his alleged links, I suppose, to 
a former corrupt Garda who has now been jailed. And it's about the accessing of information. And we that's true, shortly before the trial started, he was taken from his cell in Cloverhill Prison and he was brought to Ronanstown Garda Station in West Dublin. And he was held there for several hours where questions were put to him about this links with a re- retired corrupt Garda. So that's a separate investigation. So they could, on the steps of the court, they could say, all right, Mr Hutch, we're charging you with this. That's entirely possible, but it's just in relation to this this case. My best guess or best estimate is if the judges find him not guilty of murder, that's it. In relation to the the, the David uh, Byrne murder itself, there was just there was you know just just my analysis of it, but there was such a a a. Um, effort by the state, uh, by Gardy to get this individual back home to extradite him, to charge him. Uh, there's a huge vested interest in in uh, in the prosecution of Jerry Hutch, and so I I do wonder, um, you know, if in the event that he's found not guilty, what happens next? None of us really know what happens next. But it, that that charge, it, he's not facing that charge. He hasn't been charged with what we're mentioning, uh, but he was arrested. So I mean, it does show that Gardy are investigating actively investigating Jerry Hutch in relation to. Uh, another possible offence, and so it's interesting to see where that'll end up um, post-trial. And it, because it, there's so many stories, it is coming back to me. He was held in suspicion of directing a crime gang, okay, of leading yes. a crime gang. Now that's an offence upon conviction that carries up the life. So now you're you're absolutely right about the the effort to bring Hutch back from it was Spain. Obviously, you know about the Guarda TV arrest and over there in Fingarola and everything like that. Same thing happened to John Gilligan. He was arrested in England, held in Belmarsh Prison, brought over. I think probably it was on an Air Corps Casa, probably the same Air Corps Casa that they used for Jerry Hutch because they only have two. So there's a 50% chance that it was the same plane. But anyway, he was, you're right, and he was brought for the special court, massive efforts to get him to court, but he was acquitted of the murder. However, he was convicted of the drugs, but that was on the indictment sheet as well. So there's, the only indictment on this is murder. That's it. There's nothing else. So... All right, that's your lot for today. We'll have part two of the Q&A session for you tomorrow, so keep an eye on your feeds. Also, all of our podcasts are now up on the Irish Mirror YouTube page. If you want to subscribe, please search at Irish Mirror YT on YouTube and you'll find us there. Take it easy.